This podcast is made possible by Vital Smarts, the Speak Up Experts. With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times bestselling authors and over 3 million people trained, that's Vital Smarts. If you're struggling to hold a tough conversation in the office or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. worth remembering that the one person who took responsibility the minute the story came out and went on TV and apologised without mitigation was Danny Frawley. Mm. And as you say on your lovely podcast, ladies, let's roll up our sleeves and melee. I wondered what you thought of Toby Green and his most untoward tactics. Lucy, I'm not a fan of what we've seen Toby do. Have you ever stood there, Malcolm, next to a woman and seen the glass ceiling cracking ahead of you? Like, Malcolm Blight, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. You don't know what it's like for my nine-year-old to see that statue and know that that's going to be a legacy that she can be attached to her whole life. We're going to see lots of splits and slits. Caro, that'll be your bag showing off your legs. And what is known on the Paris catwalk this year, sexy cutouts. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 101th episode. That should be 101st, actually, shouldn't it, Caro? I think that's it, Corey. That's <laughs> it. Of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Hello, you looking bright as a button as you pad up for your second ton, Caroline Wilson. I'm forcing summer, is what they say this you morning. Are. I didn't realise it was going to be 12 degrees when I put on my light, colourful outfit, Corrie. Can I, may I describe it? Crushed strawberry, linen, shirt, fresh as a daisy. You've with seen it the, before. With the, Channel you know, Nine, with the Channel Nine eyelashes. You know it's watermelon, but anyway, that's fine. Now... How are the eyelashes? Is it our 101st or is it our 100th? Did we do 100? Okay, so Potty's very confusing. We did do 100. We recorded it live last week with uh, some of our gang in the bookshop. It was great, but we had some technical issues. Possibly the fact that there were 60 mobile phones in the room. Miss Jane, our lovely producer, who is feeling stricken about this, thinks that there's possible Is that your excuse, Jane, is it? (laughs) Oldie but a goodie. Fair enough. I am so, so sorry, Caro and Corrie. It is all my fault. I take full responsibility. No, it's a team. It is a team effort. It's all our faults. But anyway, for those who persevered through an hour's, hour's scratchy listening, thanks for doing that. And also, can I just say thank you not only to those who came, but Caro, we had so many messages from social media, but also in person, people stopping you at the footy, people coming into the bookshop. We were given gifts, flowers to everyone. Thank you so much. We feel like we're part of a big family. We don't know what we've started, but it's definitely here to stay. Even Hutchie sent in the bottles of Verve Clicquot, which was very kind of him. Very happy about that. The good news is, though, that the good local tip that my mother gave on the night, my mother Julia, was such a good local tip, and I've tried it, and I'm going to repeat it this week. Good idea. So if you didn't quite hear it the first time around, you you can hear it in this 101st episode. We are really, really excited today, Caro, because we have, oh my gosh, they are my podcast pinups. We have some of the gang from the Outer Sanctum with us here today. We have Emma Race, Lucy Race and Nicole Hayes. We are so happy to have you girls. This is my dream come true. <laughs> A podcast mash. Yay! 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 
in, in preliminary final week, which, as we know, is the most exciting week of the footy year, almost. Yeah, it's a full footy podcast today, everyone who's listening. So we're delighted to have you girls. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. Thank you so much. We're thrilled to be here. Yeah. We are thrilled to have you. It's so weird to be in here <laughs> and be on the other side of the pod desk and hear you guys doing your intro and everything. I've just, I'm having an out-of-body experience because this is what people say when they come and see us. But we're so grateful because I don't know how much of our audience crosses over or intersects, but I'm, I do feel like Caro and Corrie, you have both been such guides for us our whole lives, whether we've been reading you, listening to you, watching you, buying books from you, <laughs> getting recommendations from you. And then I do feel a little tiny bit of pride that you started a podcast after Caro was on our podcast. I didn't I'm, even know so, what a podcast was. This is my point. I didn't want to say no that. Idea. I didn't want to be so bold as to say that. But in a really weird way, we're very proud of you girls. <laughs> Oh, we're so happy you're proud. We're blushing now. Hey, Emma, I think really what happened for us was when you guys were sitting around the kitchen table and broke the story about the ice challenge issue of, I think, 2016 it was, and really highlighted the extraordinary sexism that Caro had incurred with, you know, everybody knows the backstory. But you really set the agenda then, and it made all of us think I wrote a column for the age responding to to your comments and agreeing with you and we all tried to take the issue further and Caro was kind of in the mix of that um, probably not at the beginning the way you really wanted to be Kaz but you were no no part actually, of the story to, to add a sort of sad and poignant note to that it's worth remembering that the one person who took responsibility the minute the story came out and went on TV and apologized without mitigation was Danny Frawley mm, yeah. he was the I mean he was the only one mm. of the sort of three worst of them who actually said, you know, it was terrible, I shouldn't have done it, I'm really, really sorry. So, um, but the other, it took, I think that was why the story dragged on for so long because... Eddie found about 10 different ways to apologise <laughs> before he actually apologised. That's true. And Spud did the same thing on our side. He contacted my husband and said, oh, I've really learnt from this moment. And um, and we've talked about that going forward, that that he made it very – he his passion for women's football took on another, yeah. you know, next level after that um, moment. And he was always very willing to talk about women's football when we were around. And I think that that was him saying – I've learned from the moment. I've taken it on. But Isn't that a good thing? You learn it's from amazing, adversity. It's amazing. I've got to be honest, the last couple of days I've felt a lot of guilt about it. Like I've felt, I felt it really hard and I thought, you know, it's a really what we do sitting behind these microphones and AFL media is um, we're very new to it. But, you know, we do call each other out on things and pull each other up on things and I, um, I'm trying to take things very gently um, but still try and make a point, you know, to understand that people come to all of their workplaces with a whole lot of other things that they're carrying with them. And we see that in everyday life. So I, as much as we people think that we go harder than we do, a lot of the time we're yeah. just repeating what other people have said. But do you think that's true, Nicole? Yeah, I think a lot of people, we've heard stories that people don't want to be on our show, like people in higher places because they're afraid of us, which is so nice. Aren't we lovely? <laughs> Um, and, oh, I, and, that, the, and I know I'm that it's sorry, because... that is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, Man, who I, are I, these people? <laughs> no names. Um, but no, I think it's more just they don't know how to 
deal with it because there's a room full of women and maybe that's different enough for them in the football space or maybe just they've literally never listened to the show and so they don't know that what we want to do is unpack things in a more thoughtful and considered way and take the time to kind of explore stuff, which, you know, on on some radio, I guess you don't have the time to do that. But, you know, I was listening to your interview a week or two ago with Brendan Gale, right? So, it, you know, I think the, the wider AFL community would consider him a possible successor to Gillian McLaughlin when the time comes. And I thought it was a great interview. He was very relaxed. You asked questions that traditional media may not ask of him. It was non-combative, but it was strong. And I learned a lot about him. Did you enjoy that? Oh, I was I loved it. <laughs> I've got to admit. Apart from the fact that he was sitting on a squeaky leather chair, which for audio, for Miss Jane would be like, no, terrible. <laughs> um I loved sitting down with him and he was one of those people who had a, a misconception about us, but his was really funny. He said, is this one of those shows that's like a stitch up? Is this a comedy show? Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, Brendan, you haven't listened. But he was lovely. And the longer that the interview went on, the more relaxed he got. And I got to poke a bit of fun at him. And it was that sitting down and having eyeballing someone and letting him get to know us as I was getting to know him. And I fell a little bit in love with him, I'm not ashamed yeah. to say. And Andy, yeah. Andy's <laughs> a big fan now, isn't he? Stop <laughs> so, listening, yeah. Andy. So you guys, uh, can you just give us a rundown for those who week, aren't familiar? <laughs> <laughs> I've always had a crush on him. Uh, give us a rundown of how The Outer Sanctum began and this, the whole story behind how your wonderful football podcast started. Well, it started with... Um, so. Emma and Felicity and I are sisters, um, and then the other three members of the team we all kind of had friendships with, so it was a funny little mix, and we're all Hawthorne supporters, which is a great secret that we try to hide. When <laughs> no, we try not, to today, well. not, not today, not today. <laughs> no, I look forward to a full Hawthorne <laughs> yep. discussion later. We're, 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 we're outnumbering you, Caro. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you can take credit in the fact that you shaped the eight if you didn't actually make the eight. We did. We did do that. had a very yes. big influence yeah. on it. No, no, it's nice was... to enjoy the finals for once without having to actually care about the outcome. That's, oh. that's no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lying. But we, um, you know, we talked about football a lot and the six of us had a chat group where we would watch games and we would chat constantly on our phones. Did you grow up in a footy family? Like, well, all yeah. on, the, on the telly all the time and that sort of thing? I can only really speak for Felicity and Emma and I, but we certainly did. So we grew up... Um, going to games at Princess Park, going to VFL Park. We'd, you know, play netball straight in the car, straight to VFL Park, straight home to watch the little quarter replays on Saturday, after, you know, Saturday night. And um, that was that was our life growing up. But for Felicity and Emma and I, we really bonded as adult women um, spending time at the football. Once we were married and had children, that was actually a space that we carved out for ourselves and we spoke about it constantly. And with Nick and Alicia and Kate, um, that conversation was just out of control. We (laughs) we talked all the time and we were frustrated by the fact that we didn't see people having the same conversations that we were and Nick and Alicia wrote a book, or edited a book called From the Outer, which brought a lot of stories of people who had been outside of or not necessarily feeling the love from the football community or feeling welcome in, in football. And we went out to celebrate the launch of that we book. We used some of the stuff from our conversations. We, and did. we turned it into found poetry. And it's yeah, it was highly rejected. <laughs> Very rejected. <laughs> it's a great book. But it was a celebration and we went out for dinner and I don't know, it was probably you. And was, or was it Lucy? Oh, I don't one, know. Someone said, po- we should do a podcast. Someone said you should do a podcast. And what, Two days what later. year would have this been? It was 2016, I yeah, think. Yeah, so it was like before the AFLW. It was probably the yeah, big Yeah, so it was thing. before AFLW and um, I, I mean, I'm, 
race by name, race by nature. That does not fit Lucy. She's as slow as a snail. She has a very <laughs> slow turning circle. But I make things happen very quickly. Not always. I do them quickly, not always well. But um, the podcast was one of those things. And I said, a podcast, I can make that happen. I was on maternity leave and looking for things to occupy my hands and my brain. And within two days, we started the podcast and it was in my lounge room around one little recording device, six of us and a bottle of champagne. And that's how we started. And I don't think we, we never anticipated that anyone would really listen, not even our parents, because they didn't know what a podcast was. So we didn't think anyone would listen, but we found this audience. And I think what happened is that um, technology gave us a platform where a broadcaster never, ever would have considered giving us a platform. And, you know, as it turns out, we started having conversations that we were broadcasting that other people were having all over Australia about this game. And so we just happened to find a community. And you guys know how important a community is. But suddenly, I mean, it, it, it was for a very, very brief time, it was a very cultish little podcast. Yeah. And then by the time I saw you all at the launch of the AFLW and over that whole year, you'd become celebrities. I mean, no, but really. Really, no. no <laughs> like, so no. no. But, well, certainly in the AFLW circles you were mm. and, and you were doing, you were working through the ABC, you were working for The Age. I mean, very quickly you became, your platform enlarged. Mm, How yeah. did you cope with the success? Did any of you become a bit annoying or showbiz <laughs> asshole? Yeah. Is that what you mean? <laughs> we all bought yachts and planned trips to Greece. Well, you know the ABC the pays us yeah. crazy money. Oh, I, I mean, you it's know what I mean. Um, I want to know: Have you been invited to the Brownlow? <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> have. Only two of them. Can you believe it? They didn't know. Yeah, it's never happened before. Um, You've hit the big time. Yep. The thing that has unlocked for us is that AFLW has given this other kind of it's a it's it's a whole other avenue and I know that we're leading that space because we were there before it started and because we a lot of the work that we do is advocacy work heaps heaps of it is you know media training and trying to give platform to voices in the in the footy games that haven't had voices before and you know I have adopted so many female footballers who you know either stand in my pool and do recovery or come for dinner have cups of tea you know get calls for help in the middle of the night those kinds of things and I've just adopted these women and girls as as my new daughters and best friends and I adore them and I think it's because I always wanted to play and I couldn't so you know the access that it gives us is yes Lucy and I going to the Brownlow which we can't quite believe but for us I think the payment is in seeing those women when we're out at AFLW games seeing the women in the outer and the women on the ground who look at us and say you see me and you hear me and you represent me and that feels like a payment that we could never you know Quantify. So I should know this. Is Brendan Gale still ruck coaching the women's I don't, team at Richmond? I, I think he does spend a lot of time. Is he, Lou? I'm pretty Lucy sure he would is. know this. Yeah. yeah. See, he's just he's just the perfect next he's, CEO, he's the, isn't he's he? The perfect next CEO. Just uh, just before we move on, I wonder why you think your podcast resonates with not only women but so many men. Um. Well, I think the community work that Em was talking about and. Em and Lucy in particular, their social media work is incredible in terms of what they, you know, reaching out to people who um, and giving voices and, and just elevating people who, yeah, have felt marginalised or excluded for a long time. I think that's been a big part of it. Um, I think it's just that we, we don't pretend to be journalists or experts in anything. We don't try to do hard stories. We're not trying to trick anybody or, you know, get a scoop. It's really more about having the sorts of conversations we, you know, we had at home is having them with microphones. And I think people feel like 
we're their friends. And the thing is, when they see us, well, they feel like friends to us because we've talked to them on social media or, you know, so it's probably just that accessibility part of it that we kind of reflect something more relatable to what they are, what their experiences could be. I mean, I think a lot of these things, it was a perfect storm of the rise of women and women's football and just credibility and and the the idea that, you know, finally there were other voices being heard um, and all of that sort of caught up with I mean, what had happened with you, Caro? And, and that's, you know, a culmination of multiple things and, and stories probably we've never even heard. I can't even imagine over the years. But with that and then the rise of the football and the announcement, I think the perfect storm. It was a big part of it. And once we cut through, you know, I think we just continue to really work hard to make sure that we're telling stories maybe other people aren't so interested in. Well, I love it. You're not, com- you're not combative, but no. you're provocative. So, for example, we were talking off air before about your terrific interviews that you did with uh, Stan Grant and Nova Paris regarding the whole kind of reconciliation and racism and footy and all of that stuff. And you get people thinking, but it's a comfortable space. You don't feel it's really you know, head on. I hope so. That's what we're trying to do. Anyway. And also you've got the great larrikin sense of humour, which is what we love. But really, there's yeah. a tradition. It goes yeah. back to the Kudabins when they started 30 years ago. Well, there's a lot of fun in footy to be had. I think what we've kind of done is the collegiality that you find when you talk to people about football. You know, the, the thing that you would recognise when you're out in a shop or on the tram and you speak to someone and you find a way in to start a conversation because you've got football in common. I think what the podcast has done is kind of tapped into that um, way to fast track a relationship and to, to build it. And so I think that collegiality and that love of football and the love of the connection that it can bring sits at the heart of everything that we, we try to bring. Mm. And I guess that might be part of it. We, um, I, I think we've all fallen into our own roles of what we do. It's kind of like the Spice Girls more like the hospice girls, maybe. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Posh. <laughs> Definitely Lucy. Yep. Um, but I think what's happened is because we're sisters and friends, we can play in the format like you guys can. You can hang so much crap on each other and you have this back catalogue of all of the stories. stories from all of the time. And so there's a real love there. So even when you're going at each other and you disagree with something, you can still feel the love between the people. And that's why people want to listen because they feel part of the friendship group. And I can, and that's what I get when I'm listening to you guys as well. And so even when mummy and mummy are fighting, I don't ever feel panicked that you're not going to be friends at the end of the hour. (laughs) Well, (laughs) unfortunately, we were going to talk today about, but this is classic you and me, about the new Downton Abbey movie. We were going to go and see in the pouring rain down at the beach on Sunday, but Corrie texted me and said, hmm. Convince me why I'm going to leave the sofa and the fire. And I had the, the fire on, the trackie on. It was 2.30 and it was pouring with rain and I thought, mm, why am I doing this? And I was like, good call and that was it. <laughs> anyway, I hate to introduce a downer to the conversation, but we we mentioned AFLW and um, you know I wrote about this in mm. The Age on Saturday and you probably all know a lot more about what's going on behind the scenes than I do. But Emma, are you worried for the competition at the moment? Two months out from the fourth season, no fixture, no agreement with the collective bargaining agreement. The the players are really disenchanted, it seems to me, at the moment. I'm actually more optimistic than I've ever been because the, the girls have needed to, or the players, I think, have needed to be able to voice what's concerned them and I can see that they're doing that right now. Um, through your column especially, I, I could feel the passion and... Um, and I think it's a really important conversation to have because the fans have been having these conversations. They want everyone to play each other once. They do worry. The fans want 
the Premiership Cup to go to its rightful owner the way that we've been fed this competition how you know how we've grown up with the competition and what we believe to be fair and just in deciding a premiership team. So I think um, I'm really proud of the girls for speaking up because it's a very scary thing to do and it, they must feel really vulnerable doing it. But you it's know, a bit disappointing they were told not to speak up though, as some of them said to me. In the they had a meeting with Paul Marsh and and the Players Association who said you mustn't talk about this. Does that surprise you that they oh, were told so, that? It doesn't I think surprise it's really, me at all. It's very yeah. disappointing. But, you know, I look at the CBA and it's an opportunity for them to, to voice their grievances. My concern would be signing a three-year CBA seems really heavy-handed when the comp's only been going for four years. And I think you have to look at resistance and then work backwards and think about the things that are going to be on your side and what I think what I would implore the players to remember when they're trying to hold fast in their negotiations is that with the growing numbers of participation rates for women and girls throughout the country, that is a commodity and that yeah. year on year is going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I would I would love them to maybe look at negotiating a one-year CBA, try and get it back on their terms a little bit because um, they need a fixture. They need it quickly. Striking's not what they want. They don't want to not play. They want to play. That's what they want to do. So um, in the short term, if I was advising them, I would love to see them um, negotiate a really um, solid one-year CBA that maybe gets them playing everyone once and maybe some discussion on pay and then, and then review it, review it yeah. again. But start reviewing it in April. I don't know why we're having this conversation now. The fixture should have been out in June last year because these players have to move into state. Yeah. They have to get annual leave. The, the way that the diversity of needs for these players is so much greater than the diversity of needs for the AFLM players because they're all professional footballers. We're looking one end of the road. We're looking at um, girls who are living at home, 18 years old, just come out of school. And at the other end, we're looking at people who are doctors or surgeons who potentially have children on the way who've had to move into state. You know, they, they've got to mobilise this group of people who are so incredibly diverse all over the country in such a short space of time. It doesn't, it doesn't feel fair. But as you say, Em, their greatest commodity is their numbers. More and more women are playing, but also, and what Carol and I have been writing about for 300 years, is that women are also the mothers of men, of boys who play. So they can end up in AFLM, as we call it. Uh, you know, the influence is just so profound. I think the challenge, though, is that the numbers doesn't isn't reflected in the AFLPA. They don't have the power, and there are competing um, interests for the, between the men and the women in many ways. They have one lot, spot on the board, Corrie. Yeah, one spot. Just appalling. And they, they changed the constitution to give originally Daisy Pierce that spot and um, they're now saying, oh, but it's constitutional, we can't change it again. It's well, ridiculous. It, it was interesting though, Nick, I went to, I judged on Friday afternoon the Essendon Football Woman of the Year with a fairly high-powered panel, if I do say so myself, and then I went to the football, to the um, semi-final, and three of the most senior women in footy came up to me at various times during that afternoon, evening, and said, good story. Yeah. We're really glad this has been written. Yeah. And it, Can you name names? No, certainly not, no. Corrie. Part of it disappointed me. Part of it disappointed me that they 
weren't able that, that they were happy that someone else had come out and yep. actually yes, and identified. That they can say to you, but they don't want to say probably to their boardrooms. This well, was a, something that we have to pursue. I think the reality is that they need the collective, and 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 it's hard because you've got such that mixed bag, and people are scattered all over in, in, from the playing group anyway, but also from the administration as well, and people who have been involved in the game, the women who have been invo- involved in the game. Many of them have been scattered anyway, especially the original kind of pioneers of women's football have been either sort of kicked out of football in some way or discouraged from being actively involved. And so they're advocates kind of unofficially. And that's been a really I – I don't – that's not a deliberate thing, but it is an unfortunate thing that makes it harder to be that collective sort of voice. Um, I think there's also a time – a time comes where you need to stop being grateful mm-hmm. and actually start asking yes. for what you think. Yeah. Is is worth asking for? Isn't isn't that mm. the the plight of women mm. in the workforce there generally? Been, there have been some really interesting articles over the last year, though, from male journalists. One of which said, you know, unfortunately, these girls have been pumped up to be big stars, and the the, the sort of narrative is that they've got ahead of themselves. I mean, if you, that's what I've been picking up more and more. And oh, every time someone says, "Be grateful," we should just plop another statue of another AFLW player in Federation Square and then they'll all spontaneously combust. <laughs> Although Malcolm Blight wouldn't like that. Oh, I hate it. it. Oh, Malcolm. He's not, he's not so, Robinson Caruso. Can I just ask, yeah. is why do they ask Malcolm Blight his opinion? Why, yeah. I don't understand. He's a great of the game. Sure, whatever. He doesn't understand AFLW. He doesn't know what that means to me. I want to say to him, have you ever stood under, you know, I want to invoke, um, um, what's the movie called? Goodwill Hunting. Have you ever stood there and smelt what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel? Like, have you ever stood there, Malcolm, next to a woman and seen the glass ceiling cracking in ahead of you? Like, Malcolm Blight, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. You don't know what it's like for my nine-year-old to see that statue and know that that's going to be a legacy that she can be attached to her whole life. Yes, agree, or for someone agree. like me who wanted—I have a twin brother. We played footy, but I wasn't allowed to. I had to go to every one of his games, and I ended up taking stats, and they'd let me train. And the the idea that there's somebody, there's a pathway that I mean, I was never going to be a professional footballer, but it's not the point. I didn't get to play at all, really. But and you could have had the choice. I could That's have had the, the choice. Yeah. I did every other sport I could, and so just what that means to have that celebrated in such a public way, he. He'll never know. And so when me and my brother and sister were born, and Corey's sick of me talking about this, but he was put up for the MCC, and my sister and I, who are football, were football fanatics growing up, my sister more than me, she was in the Richmond Cheer squad, we weren't allowed to go to be put up for the MCC. And remember the outcry, well, you probably don't because you're all too young, but in 1982 when John Kane, who is my hero, or 1981 in this area, said, no, no, this is crown land. You can't bar women from certain parts of the MCG. Um, and, and men gave up their ladies' tickets and women were allowed to jump the queue. There was an outcry, mm. an outcry about how unfair that was. Mm. Well, no, it was unfair the other way. Anyway, we digress. We do. So, girls, a couple of uh, points that I want to uh, just throw your way for a super quick response. And as you say on your lovely podcast, ladies, let's roll up our sleeves and melee. <laughs> I wondered what you thought of Toby Green and his most untoward tactics. Lucy? I'm not a fan of what we've seen Toby do. Um, Where I do have a a bit of an issue is I think that the AFL have handled it really badly and I think he should have been rubbed out last week. Um, I keep thinking about Ben Stratton who got two weeks suspended for pinching and for stepping on someone's foot. And that was under the charge of serious misconduct. So Toby's charge, um, he 
came under serious misconduct last time and was just offered a fine by the AFL. This week it's been decided in a different way. They've gone with intentional contact, high, low impact. And I think the problem arises when we can't understand a decision. And, um, and the inconsistency. The yeah. inconsistency. So, so what happened last week was I don't, Michael Christian, I think, was unhappy with what happened and the way it was handled by the tribunal. Mm. Jeff Gleeson, the QC, I don't think has ever recommended a fine for a serious misconduct charge. You had a very flat and sad night at the tribunal because they'd all just learned about Danny Frawley. Mm. Stuart Lowe, in fact, withdrew from sitting on the, on the panel because of that. And you had even, I think, Richard Loveridge, I think, asked the question of... Um, of Toby, of, of Toby Green or, or his representative, have you apologised to Marcus Bontempelli? And they said, well, no, he hasn't, but he's going to tonight in the room. <laughs> and the recommended $5,000 fine, they changed to 7500 Well, the tribunal have got to be tougher too. Mm-hmm. It, they don't have to take the AFL recommendation, which comes straight from Andrew Dillon and Steve Hocking at the AFL. So the AFL handled all of this. That mm-hmm. morning, GWS said, oh, it's going to be a fine. So you just have to feel a negotiation had taken mm-hmm. Place this week, Corey. There's actually more damning vision, though. Brisbane people will say he should have gone last week. That was worse. I thought the vision... that was damning vision, though. The week before against the mm. Bond. Well, not really. I don't think that. I think they they looked at it as three different incidents and three different fines. But so you've got an unhappy match review officer who this week is recommended the one week. Mm. The AFL is saying the evidence is much stronger, but none of that changes the fact that. A deal was negotiated last week. The match review officer was unhappy. Um, He apologised, Toby Green, and did the same thing again the following week. The stomping on feet, which is what Easton Wood spoke about last week and and what Ben Stratton did, is just appalling, I reckon. Mm. And the incident that happened the other night with Lockie Neal, it wasn't even part of that contest. Why does such a good player have to do such dirty things? And you'd think he'd be a little cam- gun-shy like a week later. You'd think he'd be super, super careful. It's finals time. There's been a lot of – everyone's going to be watching. It's, it actually suggests he's not all that, you know, su- I don't know. Perhaps he feels untouchable, uh, Toby Green, I mean. Or whether it's – he knows how to play that game where he can just kind of obscure mm-hmm. what he's doing. But is the head sacrosanct or not? I don't – you know, that was a message from the AFL over and over again. If you're mucking around, you know, when a player's incapacitated on the ground and you're, you know, tampering or interfering with their face or their head, that completely contradicts everything they've said about their head being protected. I have a, such a cynical view about this. And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying oh, it, but go I'm on. going to say it on your podcast yes. and then I'm going to go and run and hide under my bed. No one listens to I you. love GWS. I love them. But they are the AFL's product. They need Toby Green out there. Yeah. He like him being able to play last weekend was thirty possessions. How many goals did he get? Like three goals or something. He was unbelievable. He, he, for he them. was one of the best on. He ground. was one of the best on and ground. If, and I don't see them beating Collingwood without him this week. And no. as we sit here talking, we don't know what the decision is going to be from the tribunal. But no, the, the deal was negotiated on Monday morning. That's not yeah. cynical at all. Now oh, yeah. you could say they might have that discussion with any club, but I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Just very quickly on Ben Stratton, and I know I'm in a um, brown and gold room. I have to be very careful. <laughs> I thought that showed a real show of strength from Justin Reeves, Reeves. the CEO, yeah. to come out and make that 
declaration that this is not what we stand mm. for because it is, wasn't nice, the pinching. I agree. And I, I actually stand by those two And he legs. overruled Clarko, yeah. which was pretty big, That's and right. Jeff Kennett mm. wasn't going to say anything. Right. No, so, but I, and I think, you know, especially as a, um, you know, watching a lot of junior footy and loving junior footy, I don't want to see those kinds of things happen in the elite competition and make their way down to, to junior footy because it does. It's funny. I was on air with um, Brad Sewell, who never got reported. I was on air with him on Sunday, and I was asking him about the targeting an injured player and he said, oh no, they're fair game. If you're on the field, you're fair game. And I was just saying, that just, just, I don't think anyone in the outer, I don't think any supporters really feel that. I, I think the supporters want to see a fair game. They don't want to see people kind of lowering like, themselves yeah, to these the kind of sore shoulders. It's actually yeah. a stipulated rule that you're not supposed to as And well. it is, but they were saying, you know, it's grey area. Are they talking oh, about former, an interplayer? Former players have got a lot to answer yeah. for. And even Bianca Chatfield on the offsiders said the same thing. So you were watching the game, Corrie, when Adam Kennedy was targeting the damaged elbow of Charlie Cameron and the umpire made the comment about spirit of the game. And I reckon he's probably one of the best two umpires in the AFL, mm. Sean Ryan. Umpiring was very good, which and is a nice little well, segue. Well, 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 it was. It was I, a lot. I, I they did it. a lot of work. It was. But you oh, know what is so? And they were so vocal. Don't you? Is it just me, or is it when two interstate teams play as they did on Saturday? Non-Victorian. Non- okay, Non-Victorian. <laughs> All right, non-Victorian teams play. The crowd, it's a different sound in the it crowd. It was They really don't know when to cheer, weird vibe. It was Isn't a it weird incredible? vibe, that game. Did you get the same thing, Nicole? I, I felt, felt tense from beginning to end, yeah. and I, I can't quite explain it. It was kind of extraordinary. I think it was because the sound, that crowd just sounded amazing. But also this vocal coaching almost by the umpires, which I've just not heard that level of it before. Oh, it and then really the tension weird. with GWS being particularly aggressive, as they had been the week before. So that's our segue, really, ladies, to uh, what was your semi-final highlight. Let's go around the panel. Caro, let's start with you. Oh, I thought the mark from Jared Lyons, who um, was basically piffed by the Gold Coast last year. No, Well, I think he fell out with the coach and no one's really understanding why that happened. And he went to Brisbane. But that, that well, it, had they won the game, it would have been his. I thought that was absolutely unbelievable. And the other game was Patrick Dangerfield, as they said, putting on the Superman cape in the last oh, quarter. Oh, about time, though, like he, came, right, he came out and had the, had the I thought out I was of his watching, Clark Kent um, suit. I thought I was watching Royce Hart. I mean, he was playing like <laughs> was Wayne Carey or Royce Hart, wasn't he? So they were my One two. One great quarter. Nicole? Um, I'm going to be really predictable. It was the Luke Hodge. Oh, show. I was going to say oh, that. Oh, sorry, but he <laughs> no, just, I'm happy. It's just he was just so extraordinary, oh, and wasn't he? You know, what 27 odd disposals, most of them before half time. I mean, yes, it didn't end the way you would have liked it to, but that that whole move, you know, that just kind of. I don't know, epitomise the brilliance of the move of bringing him up there um, and having him just coaching and developing players, but then also still stepping up on the ground, still showing them the how coach, to play. The coach having the quiet confidence in his own abilities yeah. to say to a, an on-field leader, you do the coaching role, yeah. which of course we've watched for the last two seasons, but particularly on Saturday night because we knew probably it was going to be his last game. Yeah. To just watch him nurturing and and just so on. So, so drenched in sweat, so exhausted. I didn't think it was going to be his last game. When, it was when, great. When they hit the lead, I thought they've got this. Well, it was, a two year, it was a two-year contract. It was a two-year playing contract. So it was, who, you know, who who kind of knew? Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Em, what was yours? Well, mine was um, also going to be Luke Hodge, but I'm not <laughs> going to go with that. Um, I do have a query about Luke Hodge, though, because, you know, we saw Dermy say go and play at Collingwood. It didn't have the same 
um, impact as Luke Hodge. And I've been so curiously thinking about all the people who try to eke out extra games in their career and how they've never really brought this Luke Hodge you know, kind of experiment. Is there, am I missing anyone, Caro? I, I don't think you, there's only one Luke Hodge. Yeah. Okay. He's I, always I, I, been I think, that I think you're person. talking about the unique person, but it is interesting. GWS sort of did it with Luke Power. Yeah. And, um, and Stevie J, maybe? Yeah, well, Stevie J and sort of ended ended pretty yeah. badly in that terrible game. He didn't play well against Richmond, but um, and also Chad Corns. They got a group of them, but particularly I think Luke Power had an influence in mm. that first year as captain. Um, the other the other thing was that um, it's now happening. It's all the rage. Now, it is all, and the rage. everyone's trying it's to amazing. do it. Matthew, I've spoken to Matthew Lloyd about it off air. I don't think I'd be giving up anything and saying he thought about doing it, and he said, but back then no one really did it. Yeah. And, I'm, and I, in a way, I was worried that it mightn't work, and I might have got too slow. He didn't. He sort of ended before he really needed to. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it was a fascinating. It's really fascinating. So my highlight though was Chris Fagan's um, post match post match press conference. Yeah, um, I've loved watching Chris Fagan all year. I love what he brings to the game as a coach. I think he's leading in a way that we haven't seen a man lead in this space before. His face was so warm and so expressive and he really wanted to talk about celebrating what had happened in the game. It was clearly a huge loss for them, especially when you look at the stats and he talked about that this week and last week as well, saying we actually won everything on the stats. We've just got to tighten up in those teeny tiny one percenters. But he should be a man that is so proud of what he's done. But I think in the greater good of the game, what he's brought to the game and how he's leading off the field. I just think um, he's carving out his own niche as well and it's under, it's out from under Clarko. It's not like Clarko. No, it's his own he's thing. His he's own marching man. to his own Yeah, he beach, is yeah. and I've loved watching it. Yeah, I agree with that. Lucy, what was your highlight of the weekend? Mine will surprise some people, but mine was Joel Selwood. Oh, <laughs> I was just thinking oh about it. I know, controversial. No, so um, as a Hawthorne call. supporter, I've had a checkered relationship with the <laughs> Geelong Cats. Um, but Joel Selwood, his game the other night, 26 disposals and a goal. Again, he had his Bloody head bandaged battered. up, and which I don't love seeing. Mm. But his post-match interview was just Extraordinary. He just came across as such a likable leader of that club and you got the sense of how much that win meant to him and to the team, how much they love Chris Scott and how important it was that they felt that they went out and really showed what they were capable of. And I sat there going, oh, I have to admit it, I like him a lot. Wow. I agree. I thought he was he was absolutely fine, and and his connection with Chris Scott, you really had a sense that they were doing it for him. It was great. It was very. Anna from the Ot Shop and I sat there going, hopefully that was his game of the final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you were, out. baby. Okay, crush of the week, and we have asked Emma Race to come up with her crush of the week. It's obscure. It's very it's not Luke obscure. Hodge. <laughs> it's not Luke Hodge. Okay, I was recently on a holiday in Hawaii, which was amazing, can I just say. It's kind of like a bigger version of Hamilton Island. <laughs> it feels a little bit fake and a little bit real. And if you like pina colada. And that, I sang that the entire time because I really do love pina coladas. I didn't bring a recipe for that, but I have something else for you for the recipe. One of the things that came out of this trip was my friend Rosie, who lives in Portland, Oregon, had come and met me there and she's always made me laugh so much. And she 
told me this story that she and her husband were driving around America and they heard a country and western song that just summed up. You know how a country and western song title can often just sum up how you're feeling? And there's so many good ones. But I feel like going into finals, this is a gift that you may want to use this when you see people you know. And this is what it is. This is my crush on this song. It's called You Look Like I Need a Drink. <laughs> and since she told me, I have used it so many times. It's never not funny, and it's pretty much always true. Kind of insulting who you say it to. You've got to pick the right person. <laughs> I, I've just got. I've just got to tell you my favourite. Never wear mascara if you love a married man. Have you ever heard that song? No. So I'm, I'm not out trumping you. That's not so no, funny. No, but I actually then deep dived and I found a whole lot of other ones that just made me laugh so much. I won't go through them all, but here's a footy themed one. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. <laughs> if you don't believe real? I love you, just ask my wife. <laughs> Velcro arms, Teflon heart. That's a huge oh. one, obviously. And this one, my John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It's one for all occasion. There is. And that, this is an ongoing gift. I mean, you're looking it for something to write on a birthday card. You know, Look and no you further. You know what? I think it's a great thing to send out to the potties out there if you know a really great country and western. That, I don't quite know what your crush is, but I'm with you. Is it country music generally? Or? it's generally the line, you, you <laughs> look like I need a drink. That's so good. And hello to Rosie in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> um, ladies, book, screen and food right now. So we're going to ask you just super quick a book that everyone is reading um, either now and you're enjoying or hating or, in fact, one that you've read in recent months and you absolutely love. And we should say that BSF is brought to us, Corrie, by our sponsor, would you like to do that, Carol? Yeah, yes. I can't find my notes. They're called Vital Smarts. They, they were are fabulous too. at our 100th birthday last week. Just remember, if you're feeling bullied or harassed by other people but lacking the ability to confront the situation, you need to develop your crucial conversation skills. They'll give you the tools to talk when the stakes are high. Um, you can improve your performance by visiting the website. That is vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM. Girls, a book each, please. Um, Nicole. A book, uh, so a book that uh, an author that I love who is so underrated and I find it hard to find her books in bookshops. I'm looking at you, Corrie. I did do a little search. Her name's Miriam Taves, which is spelled T-O-E-W-S, Miriam Taves. She's written about 15 books. She's a Canadian author. She's extraordinarily thoughtful and poignant and super, super funny. Still alive? Absolutely. She, uh, she had a new book come out this year, which I didn't love too much, called Women Talking. Um, she's been long-listed for, like, the Dublin Prize. She's really quite well-known in Canada, but not here. Anyway, the Flying Troutmans That's was... That's about to change, Nicole. Can, please, I'll please. I'm, sourcing like, an evangelical for her. The Flying Troutmans is about Hattie, who lives in Paris and has just been dumped by her boyfriend, and she gets a phone call from her niece, her 11-year-old niece, saying that uh, in Canada, saying that her mum, which is um, Hattie's sister, Min, has completely fallen apart. And she's worried about her older brother, who's a teenager, and, you know, come and help us. And so she's kind of, you know, thrown by this and completely dysfunctional as a person, flies back to Canada to try to kind of see what's going on with her sister and the kids. And her sister ends up being committed to a psychiatric ward. She's really fallen apart. Um, The daughter, uh, the, the, the niece is talking so much that she's like completely... Irrational. The teenage boy, um, Logan, isn't speaking at all. 
And so um, Hattie goes on a long trip with the kids to try to find the long-lost father. And it sounds like a grim and dark, and, and it is a bit dark, but it's so funny. So it's, it's sort so of a witty. family road trip. It's a family road trip, but she's completely dysfunctional and she's completely irresponsible and it's delightful. Um, Miriam Taves grew up in a Mennonite community and so she's written about that quite a lot, this really oppressive, very sort of think footloose but without the dancing. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it's so, hard to do that. <laughs> right? No, Kevin Bacon. But, yeah, and so she draws on that. And mental health is a big issue, and, and it makes it sound like it's grim. She's so, so funny. You can cry and laugh in a sentence. But I think one of the lovely things that's happened in the last couple of years in writing is that people are addressing mental illness in their writing but showing the all the shades of mental illness, you know, not, not just the devastation and the terrible side of it, but so often the compassion and the friendship and the love and the, all sorts of different things. I'm thinking of your book that you've loved all year, Boy Swallows Universe. Yeah, well, when I read the back of that, I thought, oh, no, why has my brother told me to read this? I could not put it down. And and ditto um, Camilla Shamsey, Home Fires. Yeah, exactly. you, you read the you're, oh, no, too depressing. No. And The Erratics, which is a non-fiction, oh, which won the Stella Prize mm. this year. Uh, but but again, so many moments of comedy between the two sisters as they're trying to grapple with the devastation of the mother who's going completely nuts. Mm. Um, thank you. That Well, I'm going to make sure that I get Miriam Good. in our bookshop. Um, Emma, what did you think? Well, I'm reading something I've been waiting, feels my whole life to read. I'm reading Margaret Atwood's <laughs> The Testaments. It is the part B to The Handmaid's Tale. But I have to admit that I'm actually not reading the book of it. I'm doing the audio book. Is that okay, Corrie? I feel like I'm putting you out of business doing that. No, you are. Um, But But I do have, I am time poor and I can listen to things more than I can sit down. I have three small children and they do not allow me the time that Margaret Atwood deserves. And I started it a few days ago, the minute it dropped, to be honest, I was waiting for it and I am completely enthralled. It's voiced by the the actress who plays Aunt Lydia in the show. So it is terrifying. Um, I can't, I'm not going to give you a review of it because I don't want to say too much, but if you, it's worth it's all worth it. Well, look in all seriousness, wow. I think it's I a bit like it's books. a bit like vid- video and Netflix and so on these days. Netflix, you know, will 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 send you to the cinema. So if you like one director or one actor's work, you're encouraged then perhaps to go to the cinema to see them next time or something. I so I think feel it all like works. I was together. hurting you though when I downloaded it's it. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. We've I'll only just, just met. I, I feel it may be. I'll wipe my tears. You can <laughs> come Corrie back again. celebrates everything literary. So if people well, are listening to audio books, they're going to buy books. Yeah, let's not go versa. too overboard with the Pollyanna and Kaz. <laughs> no, but it's true. Um, I'll now, probably buy a copy to keep in my yes. library well, anyway. Right. That is actually yeah. what often happens. So, so you know, we're happy with that. I'm not a Kindle person. So over, I'm an audio, oh but Emma, not Kindle. Overcompensation. It's okay. now. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. Lucy. Well, I'm, I'm reading the Testaments as well, and I have to say I might need to put it on my Kindle as well just so that I can increase the font and read it at night. But um, I'm one of those readers who cannot find enough time to read all the books, so I've now decided I read non-fiction during the day, fiction at night, <laughs> and I will listen to a talking book while I'm doing other things as well. Oh, but that's just showing off. The yeah. book, no, I just... You put us to shame. No, I love reading. I love it so much. It's it's probably above football in terms of my passions. Um, and a book that I wanted to bring today is one called The Yield by Tara June Winch. It's the second novel by um, Winch, who's a Wiradjuri woman. Um, her first novel... 13 years ago was critically acclaimed. This is a beautiful story. It's the story of August who's returning home after the death of her much beloved grandfather, whose name is Albert Poppy Gondawindi. 
and it's also Albert's story. Um, Albert is part of the stolen generation, and when Tara, uh, when August comes home, she finds that the land and the home that she's lived on is under threat um, from a mining company. There's also a bit of a mystery that runs through it. But one of the things that's beautiful about this book and which is wonderful about Tara is Tara has really um, identified how important language is. And she talks about Indigenous languages being really important to the connection to the land. And Albert's project that he's been working on is a dictionary. And this runs through the book. So it's actually a really beautiful literary device that tells a story as well as bringing the language to the reader. Um, In English, the word yield is about taking, but Albert says, in my language, the things that it's the things you give to, the movement and the space between things. And that's what this book's about. It's about really big themes of intergenerational trauma, of the violence of colonialization. Um, It touches on how it can be very tricky to be a white ally and what that means in if you're working in systems that aren't necessarily working well. But at the heart of it, it's also a beautiful family story, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. Well, I haven't read it, but one of my kids has and loved it and said, you have to read this. It just keeps every week. Have yeah. you read the book yet? Interestingly, it's a slow burner. Mm-hmm. So, Lucy, this book has came out about six months ago, I think, something mm-hmm. like that, and it is really, it is c- continually word of mouth, I think, with book clubs especially. Mm-hmm. So that is a really great tip. We will have the girls' uh, recommendations on our show notes, everyone. Now we're on to screen, and we're just going to have another little melee on the latest and, I believe, the last series of Dark, Caro. What are you thinking? Well, I think it's fantastic. I know you're not happy with the plot line of... Of the the plot line of oh who's the evil um, George yeah of George Warlegan going, going crazy I love that I think the fact oh, that he's, he's walking around that that big home of his like Lady Macbeth I love the fact wringing he's his see, hands and, and seeing the dead wife all the time no I think it's fantastic and um I think um more when I can't even pronounce Mulwenen, all their Mul, names Mulwenen. I think her characters really come out no I'm loving it what about Tess the servant girl you want to give her a Bit of a yeah, she's an hot evil, poker. she's an evil little sassy. Isn't she ever? <laughs> Isn't she ever? Girls, are you watching it? Do you watch no, it? No, you're watching football. <laughs> so you watching footy replay no, on Saturday? I've been watching Succession. Has anyone watched yeah, the Foxtel yeah, series? Yeah, it's it's We're obsessed by that. Based yeah. on the Murdoch family. But it's interesting. Oh, the, surely those no, those children in Succession can't be. No, the Murdochs can't no. be as bad as them. The Kieran Culkin characters just. He's so odd oh. and quirky and funny and smart. He's he's brilliant mm. because Corey and I were in Cornwall earlier ah. this year, as you might know. Yes, we were. We got even more obsessed by Poldark, and in fact, we found out they were launching the new series a couple of vill- villages away from where we were staying at one point, and we were very sorry to. Well, miss that. Uh, look, you know, I'm uh, just not sure about this last Poldark series, but anyway, I'm just, pursuing just it. Just quickly, your recommendation the other week, designated survivor. Oh my God, it's fantastic! Have any of you been watching yeah, that with Kiefer Sutherland? It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I've just started a Netflix series which is going crazy on Twitter. Is actually where I noticed it. It's called Unbelievable, and it's a series of it's a story, um, actually a true story about a series of um, a serial rapist actually that was working in America and the women who were his victims, who some of which who were not believed, and it is. Unbelievable! It is, is so that the one good. with Tony Collette. Mm. Yes, yeah. and she is Fantastic. so good in it. Everybody's and you know what? Andy that. said, "My husband said to me this last night, and 
he's speaking the language of me now. He turned to me and he goes, no Bowie. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, no Botox. (laughs) And I said, oh, look at you, you're all over it. But it reminded me as well, there is an unbelievable, (laughs) I'm using that word because it is, uh, podcast called Today Explained, which I listen to every day. And one of their episodes is called The Warehouse of Forgotten Evidence. And it is one of the most terrifying things I've listened to. It's true and it is... it is such a good um, We're writing base. It's here. such a good base for understanding why um, the history of women not being believed in sexual assaults. And if you're watching Unbelievable, listen to this podcast because it's almost a companion piece. Oh, wow. what a good tip. You yeah. girls are very handy to have here. Now, very quickly, because we won't go actually into your recipes, but tell us with food what you're loving and then we can put the recipes up on the show notes. <laughs> Everyone's laughing at me because I hate cooking. And every time I listen to your recipes, I'm like, what What did I miss? I don't understand. I'm really, I cook every night. I have to. Maybe that's why. Maybe but that's why you hate cooking. Yeah, I do. But I do love food and I just I just want someone else to make it for me. That's all. Okay. So, so skip we'll me. Pass on you. Oh, so she didn't bring food. I, would, Emma. I'm so I, brought, bad. I brought a cocktail. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So I have recently discovered, and it's a bit of a thing at the moment, elderflower yes, liqueur. Yes. And so. What we've been doing is you buy the Saint-Germain elderflower liqueur, you can mix it with either Chardonnay, which traditionally I don't like, or Prosecco and tonic water. It is the most fancy, delicious, refreshing drink. Do you put ice in that? Yes, you can. You definitely can. We were making jugs of it in Dalesford this week. <laughs> and it was it was going down a treat. I've never really liked white wine. and It doesn't usually agree with me, but somehow when you mix it with the elderflower liqueur and the tonic water, it is so refreshing and it felt really fancy. And I have noticed you can also bite in a can. I don't know if your <laughs> listeners fancy. are probably way I'm too sorry, fancy for that. You're to someone here to my left who drinks rosé out of a can. So. Once, Corey, <laughs> on the trip because they didn't have it in a bottle. Lucy, do you have a recipe? And I didn't finish it. I'm actually from the Nicole Hayes School of Cooking. So, um, but I do have a confession to make, and I don't know where you sit on this one, but I've actually joined the group of people that have a Thermomix. Oh yeah, as of yesterday. Oh, oh wow, my that, sister's got one. She did lives you take by a it. second mortgage on your home to buy well, one? Well, yes, but then I made really good mashed potato last night and fruit sorbet, and I even chopped an onion, which I would never normally. I just no, my, my Ballarat, knife skills are honestly, so bad. My Ballarat family have a mm. thermomix. I love it, and they cook everything in there, especially if you have little kids. It's so handy. So they, maybe if you invite me back in a year, I might have some recipes okay. for you. All right, so <laughs> some thermomix ones. And more but importantly, are, two years down the track, my sister's still using it. Every that's day, good to know. Which is a real, it's, it's, it's not. It's I mean, not a novelty. It really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Francesca just uses it all the time. And Charlie, six years into my relationship with my Thermomix, oh, and well, there was one the moment there. where I got my steam cleaner and cleaned my Thermomix with it, and I turned to my husband and said, "This is the only threesome I've ever had, and I've never been so happy." <laughs> Now, everybody, that was BSF. Thank you to Vital Smarts. I have to change the subject here. That's so cute. Globally proven, crucial conversations. Corrie, hold tough conversations well. We do. We always talk tough. So, uh, Speaking of. Speaking of grumpy, 25 things I'd love to talk about today, but I'm actually going to give the honour to Lucy to tell me what she's grumpy about. Okay. Well, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when Emma brought up Malcolm Blight, but what I'm grumpy about is journalists, sports journalists, who might not necessarily understand a particular movement, who think that it's fine just to keep going on the old same way and not listening to people about something that they might not know about. So I think we can all 
do well when we sometimes, you know, stop and listen and learn something. And I think I was really frustrated when the Taylor Harris statue was unveiled in Federation Square the other morning. And there are a number of people who have really... um, important positions on newspapers or in the media who just kept going the tired old line of, I just don't get it, and not listening to the people that were trying to help them get it. I agree. Mm. I agree. Take that, Malcolm, or whoever else. Okay, (laughs) six quick questions. Corrie, let's start with the Brownlow, because three of us in the room are going to the Brownlow. Mm. What's your prediction about the Brownlow fashions? What are we going to see a lot of? And will Jimmy Bartell be there as Nadia hosts the red carpet? Sorry, that was just something I threw in. Oh, that's controversial. Did you read the story about the green dress in the women's magazine the other day? No. It was a terrible story about Nadia went to the cupboard one day to find her favourite incredible green dress and it wasn't there because, according to her, um, Jimmy had lent it to someone no, else. this is gossip, Carol. We don't talk about I that hope stuff. she wears that on the red carpet <laughs> if she can find it. Um, okay, we're going to see lots of silky white, <clears throat> and I do mean silk, and we're going to see lots of bold colours, so lots of red, uh, orange, different shades oh, of blue. Dear, not for me. <laughs> we're going to see lots of... Splits and slits. Caro, that'll be your bag showing off your legs. And what is known on the Paris catwalk this year, sexy cutouts. So almost like geometric patterns, like a triangle cutout. Lucy's looking back or whatever. <laughs> okay, good news for you girls. <laughs> what are you wearing, Lucy? Tell us about your outfit. I'm wearing black. I, in fact, I think it's called unconspicuous. Lucy, you have the body of a model, so shush up. Yeah. You're very tall and I'm very I'm in slender. a black dress that you should be wearing. It would look much better on uh, you. Now, uh, one that you might appreciate is high necks. So lots of high necks this year uh, in floral colours. It is actually a lovely trend for summer. Carol, you and I have talked about this around the bosom area. It's going to be a bit difficult for you and I to do high necks. No, I'm, better, some with girls a, I'm better with a bit of a plunge. And the other thing too is I think you'll see lots of swisho long skirts in the dresses. So it will be quite um, – there's a, there's a nod to Shakespeare happening in Paris at the moment and I'm not sure whether it's going to transfer to the Brownlow Medal 2019. Where have you done all this? is very well researched. Where have you, you found know all me, this? You know me. I research on behalf of the program. Just a couple of people keep your eye out on. I th- eye out for. I think obviously Beck Jug again. You know Beck Jug. She's not going. She's not going. Okay, she's not going. Don't She'll be in tracksuit pants <laughs> nursing her new niece or nephew. Oh, okie right, Um Look out for, obviously, Nadia Bartel, who is uh, going to be one of the uh, red carpet specialists. Britt Davis, who's Joel Selwood's fiance, Clementine McVeigh. Uh, Jacinta Franklin, I know, is pregnant, but, uh, you know, we always love the look of the pregnant ladies. They always look so good. Alex Pendlebury could turn up in a rather good dress. And Olympia Valence, I think we should watch out for her too. So that's it for the Brownlow. Good luck, girls, in your black. What about Lucy Race on the red carpet? I can't wait to see that. (laughs) Will we see much of that stocking thing that ice skaters do? You know, with like the flowers stuck on it, nude stocking? Yeah. Can we see that? No, we won't see that. Do you know what we won't see, but it will be there? A lot of support underwear. A lot of support. A lot of um, spanks. A lot of Nancy Gans. Hopefully no Diamante G-strings. Yes, exactly right. Now, Nicole, I want to ask you, of all the Hawthorne captains you've known, who's your favourite? That's like trying to choose a favourite child. It's not really very fair, but I'll do a three. Can I do a three, two, one? Yeah. So starting from Are you kidding? Third. I'm a Hawthorne. <laughs> I figured you'd indulge me. Um, Peter Crimmins. He was my gateway into writing about football. Yeah. He was my very, and as a kid, With I wrote a that. story about him. I fictionalised it because I didn't know how to check facts because I was a kid. But that was the very first football story I wrote was about Peter Crimmins. Um, number two is got to be Luke Hodge. Like in terms of best, he's absolutely the best. But number one, 
Jared Ruffhead. Yeah. Oh. I can't go past Look, Jared. Look, we all go gaga. Isn't You're all crazy? with me, aren't you? <laughs> you hear me, yeah? Oh, I'm happy with that. Poor old Tucky, just anyway. Oh, yeah. I do love Tuck, but <laughs> not in the same way. No, I, I get it. I get it. Um, now, it is me to you, Lucy. Grand final entertainment. Which performer has been your favourite over the years? Well, I've thought long and hard about this. I think you can't go past 2009 that had a triple header, which was pretty much extraordinary. Mark Seymour sang Holy Grail. Jimmy Barnes, No Second Prize. And then John Farnham sang You're the Voice. Mm. And if that wasn't good enough... That's enough to put me off. I know. Oh, <laughs> if the, then the Qantas Choir came out and sang I Still Call Australia. Oh, wow. Now, you cannot oh get better God. than Did that. Did the fork in me, I'm done. Absolutely. No. So no but, loaf for you? But no, no. no, no, no I'd say no to the loaf. Heart, I know. Was, yeah. That's true. So that's why it was the highlight of the day. But I have to say Jimmy Barnes last year was extraordinary and... I can tell you here right now an exclusive that Emma Race cried from the very first moment he put foot on the stage. But Emma always <laughs> <You're> cries. <laughs> oh, she was beside you herself. Do think that? I'm always crying when I'm around you. Well, well, right. I think we need to investigate. Come on, we've got to move more. on. Come on. Now, I, my question to you, Emma, this will probably make you cry. I saw that you recently tweeted to your husband, Andy Marr, who is also in the sports media game. Uh, you tweeted to him, if no one cries, did you even play Monopoly? And there was a picture of An- Andy with your three kids, I think. Um, what was going on there? Well, board games are terrible, firstly. Mm. And secondly, I can't believe I, I came home from a trip to Dalesford and he was playing board games with the kids. And I thought, who are you? You're too good. Like, that is too kind. I would never do that in a million years. I will do colouring. I'll do craft. Particularly when you've Play-Doh. been on the cocktails with the girls. <laughs> We've been on the elderflower. Um, but within about three minutes of being home, he was calling Millie, our nine-year-old. Um, she was the banker. He was calling her a cheat. He was trying to <laughs> steal the thimble. I'm surprised if he didn't swallow a hotel. At some point, everyone cried apart from Andy. And he was like a he had Mayfair in Park Lane, probably. <laughs> he was. He was being real Svengali about it. And he was shaming them on buying bad streets or bad houses or whatever. <laughs> and I just remembered that my sisters and I, clearly we get along really, really well. But Lucy Race, man, could she flip a board. Yeah. When it wasn't going her way, she'd pull the eldest card and somehow get up from the table to get a cordial and flip the board and they were my memories of childhood. I had a, I had a relative like that. I spent my childhood you know around the Monopoly board. They never played by the rules. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Corey, pineapple on your pizza, yes oh, or no? God, no. The only reason I put this on is because my granddaughter. I oh, know you're looking at me like, why? Where's that come <laughs> why from? I ask? Har- Harriet is currently got granddaughter Harriet is currently obsessed by pizza and pineapple, which I suppose all toddlers are really, but it's just not on, Caro. Really, I'm up to Ballarat this afternoon to whip her into shape with that one. The classified boys were on the pineapple pizza. Oh last no, night, pineapple on the pizza. And what is your GL tip? Very quickly, and from the sublime to the ridiculous, it is true. Audi baby wipes for your window corners and shutters. Go to Audi, buy the baby wipes. It will, my sister told me about this last week, or my mother did via my sister. It will halve the time of cleaning around those pesky little corners. They're unbelievable. Do you need to clean those? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Lucy once said to me, I change my bed linen every six months whether it needs it or not. Oh, Lucy. That's disgusting. Talk about, talk about, Corrie, telling family secrets in public. Because it's so hard to get that doona cover back on. I know. We were talking about that before. You have to get inside it. Um, I can pull a doona like no one else. (laughs) Corrie, good for your cutlery corners too. 
cutlery the, chuff. Don't you have? I don't you hate that cutlery chuff? chuff. Oh, baby All right. Well, that's a good tip. I'm glad that that you've repeated that because those who got fed up with listening to our 100th episode and the bad, the bad <laughs> transmission now they know what we talked about last week. Finally, girls, before you go, who is going to win the grand final? Carol, we'll go around the table. Carol. It's impossible for me to. It'll Go be a on. Richmond Collingwood grand final. It, uh, my heart will say Richmond. Nicole, if, I just wish the Cats weren't playing the Tigers, or else I would have been going the Cats. But Tigers will win next week, so Tigers. Tigers by a country mile. Wow, Tigers! Oh no! Okay, sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm saying calling. I'm saying Collingwood by ten. There you wow. go. Wow, goals or points. Oh, I'm sorry. Points. Yeah. It'll be a close one, okay? <laughs> God, goals. It'd be boring, wouldn't it? Well, there often is a team yeah, goal. Yeah, the grand final, final they are. Emma, Lucy and Nicole, thank you very much for coming along to join us today. We love the Outer Sanctum and we tell all our Don't Shoot the Messenger potties to just tune in, subscribe and give them five stars before you've even listened because you are five-star talent. <laughs> thank you Thank you, for you. Thank you so much ball. for having us. Yeah. We yeah. have just loved it. It was a lot of fun. You've been, as you know, you've been Corrie's crush in the past. You've been her recommendation in the yeah. past. Have a wonderful last two weeks of the footy season and bring on AFLW. Yep. And, <laughs> and give the girls five stars. And if you enjoy Don't Shoot the Messenger, give us five stars too because that helps other people to find us. And if you have any feedback, don't forget we love your comments and tips to Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. That's one way. Or you can send a little message via Instagram. Our Instagram account is at Don't Shoot Pod. And we tweet, not often, but we do. So you can join us at Don't Shoot Pod and you can email email us, of course, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you to Vital Smarts. Thank you to Miss Jane, our producer. Thank you to our Outer Sanctum sisters. Thank you, Caro. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> <laughs>